0: My poop screen. Is that, is that okay?
1: Yeah, Ryan, it's fine. Just just start the podcast.
2: <laughs> I don't want
0: okay. any blood. <laughs> wow. Today we're talking about Seneca Key New York, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, Samantha Morton, Michelle Williams, Catherine Keener, Emily Watson, Diane West, Kath- uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Hope Davis, and Tom Noonan. Written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. I'm Ryan. I'm Brendan. I'm Matthew. And I'm Logan. I think we forgot how the podcast goes there for a second. Wow, that's not um, <laughs> how the podcast works. <laughs> so uh, after some time away, uh, we we stopped at Citizen Kane and Mank and some holiday picks. We are back to Charlie Kaufman. Uh, Hello, first Charlie. round of this, of what we're calling The Essential Kaufman. We did the three biggest movies that he re- uh, he wrote with being John Malkovich, Adaptation, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And we are back to do the three movies that he has directed now, uh, leading up to the film that came out last September on Netflix, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. But here we are with Synecdoche, New York. So guys, uh, maybe give a little bit of background of what you thought on the previous Kaufman movies that we've covered, and what were your thoughts going into Synecdoche, New York?
2: You know, every time you talk about the essential Charlie Kaufman, it just makes me think of him in, like, a smoking jacket, sitting with, like maybe a cigar or something and just like some elegant text that says the essential Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> uh I would pay to have that commissioned. Charlie hit me up. Uh <laughs> I don't think I, Charlie's yeah, that mean, kind of
0: dude, but How do you know <laughs> Yeah from his art. I would say from his art and his his interviews, but I could be wrong. We'll see. We'll have to see. Uh
2: I've I've enjoyed his his past few films, uh for the most part, I would say. Um you know just in terms of what I've seen thus far but I think that you know uh, they're always really interesting they always kind of have this sort of uh, very intellectual side to them and uh, sort of this absurdist uh, you know just aspect of it which I think this one definitely delivers on um, and I'm sure we'll get into it more but you know I've I've, I've enjoyed them for the most part
3: yeah you know I've been pretty mad on Kaufman I think he's the three movies that we have seen um, have ranged from bad to pretty good. I would say adaptation is bad. I gave that a favorable rating when we what? did it here. The more I think about it, the, I, I the movie's bad. I don't like it. Um, Being John Malkovich, I think is good. I think it's. I think it's a good movie. Just not really one to connect it with. And then um, Eternal Sunshine, I, I did really enjoy upon second viewing. So I say that one is pretty good. Uh, later down the road, he also has some that uh, range more on the negative side of things. Um, but so I, I haven't really been fully on board with Kaufman. I, I've talked about before how just I feel like he overuses some themes and he's constantly returning back to these things that for me feel a little bit dull. Um, so, pretty meh up until this point.
1: Yeah, I've been I've uh, kind of the opposite. I've been really positive uh, on Kaufman so far. Um, yeah, the, all three of the ones that we've reviewed so far have been A range movies. A minus for being John Malkovich and adaptation, and then I gave an A plus to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, one of my favorites. Um, Yeah, I think he's really great. I love the way he writes. Uh, He always just has these like incredibly uh, uh, vibrant ideas, and they're just so um, you know it's 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 always a thinker, uh, really, with Kaufman, and and there's always a lot for me to think about. Always. you know, he he never really will let you let your guard down or turn off your brain, uh, as we sometimes say on the show, during his movies. So yeah, I, I really like that, um about him, about his movies, and I uh, I can't wait to discuss this one.
0: Yeah, I've loved all of Kaufman's movies that we've seen. Uh even adaptation, which I gave an A minus to, if we were to looking back on it, I think I might have might give that an A now. Um yeah for me the the only somewhat downside is i i didn't connect to being john malkovich again kind of like matt on like a personal level but i still think it's a really well-made movie um and yeah i've loved kaufman stuff and i love stuff to come just to give a little bit of preview um but yeah kaufman's kaufman has quickly developed into one of my favorite people working in the film industry i would say he his stuff really connects with me um I, he, yeah, he just hits that wavelength that I really connect to And I, and I really enjoy it So I uh, was excited for Key New York As it was one of the two uh, films that he directed that I hadn't seen And next week, or next episode We will be talking about Anomalisa Which I'm very excited to watch now So uh, I think that works for an intro So uh, uh, Logan, what do you got for us in terms of a plot summary? Yeah,
1: so th- on IMDb Where we always get our plot summaries Gotta cite our sources There's a really short one and there's a really long one um, I, I think I'm gonna go with the really long one. It's uh, it's from anonymous. Um, I, I was I was thinking about not Hubble doing this, but reading through it, it's been, uh, you know, it, it, it's pretty good. Uh, it hits a lot of the major uh, plot points, and I think it's very uh, smart in the way that it uh, sort of summarizes things. So, this is the long plot summary written by anonymous via IMDb. Theater director Caden Cotard is mounting a new play. Fresh off of a successful production of Death of a Salesman, he is traded in the suburban Blue Hairs and regional theater of Schenectady for the cultured audiences and bright footlights of Broadway. Armed with a MacArthur grant and, de- and determined to create a piece of brutal realism and honesty, something into which he can put his whole self, he gathers an ensemble cast into a warehouse in Manhattan's theater district. He directs them in a celebration of the mundane, instructing each of... Instructing each to live out their constructed lives in a small mock-up of the city outside. As the city inside the warehouse grows, Caden's own life veers wildly off the tracks. The shadow, of, excuse me, the shadow of his ex-wife Adele, a celebrated painter who left him years ago for Germany's art scene, sneers at him from every corner. Somewhere in Berlin, his daughter Olive is growing up under the questionable guidance of Adele's friend Maria. He's helplessly driving his marriage to actress Claire into the ground. Sammy Barnathan, the actor Caden has hired to play himself within the play, is a bit too perfect for the part and is making it difficult for Caden to revive his relationship with the alluringly candid Hazel. Meanwhile, his therapist Madeline Gravis is better at plugging her bestseller than she is at counseling him, and A Mysterious Condition is systematically shutting down each of his autonomic functions one by one. As the years rapidly pass, Caden buries himself deeper into his masterpiece. Populating the crew with doppelgangers, he steadily blurs the line between the world of the play and that of his own deteriorating reality. As he pushes the limits limits of his relationships, both personally and professionally, a change in creative direction arrives in Millicent Weems, a celebrated theater actress who may offer Caden the
0: break he needs. And that is Synecdoche, New York. So guys, initial thoughts... This is a really interesting piece
2: um, and definitely not what I was expecting when I, you know, started this movie. Um, you know, I, I've, I've studied absurdism a little bit in the past just in terms of, like, theater and stuff. You know, we... we uh, you, Pretty much every college theater class makes you read Waiting for Godot um, or something similar. Um, but there is sort of... You know, it. Like, I just... I don't know, I like absurdism in terms of like a, a a film sense, I guess I wasn't necessarily sure how that would look because there's, you know, so much more you can do with it, but there are these subtle ways um that it it sort of plays into these different illusions. Um and just throughout the entire piece, um, things just you know, they they keep like they they make more and more sense and they also like simultaneously make less sense. and I think that that's one of the really cool things about um, about this piece. Uh, and yeah, it's I don't know it's 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 a thinker.'ll I'll give it that one. It definitely before we got on the call, I was telling the guys how there are just times where you have to get off uh, the the movie. Oh, no, sorry, I'll just leave it at that. You just have to get off. Uh, <laughs> you just but then, gotta get off sometimes. But then also, you have to you have to stop watching the movie and just stare at the ceiling for a little bit and just, like, take a deep breath and and keep going. Um, it, like, I, it wasn't that it was a bad movie that it was hard to watch in one sitting, but, like, it was hard to watch in one sitting just because there was so much going on and just, like, it was such an emotional piece. Uh... I don't know. It was it was very interesting. It was very interesting. I'll I'll leave it at that.
3: Yeah, after watching four of Kaufman's movies, all of which you know I could be I would say are kind of middling in terms of my reaction to them, I can finally say I truly truly love this movie. Um, nice. I finally kind of really resonated with a piece of work that Kaufman made. Uh, man, this movie. This movie hit me. hit me hard. I had a lot of anticipation for it. Um, if you follow Roger Ebert's work, you know that this is his number one movie of uh, the O's, 2000 2010. He really liked this movie. so, And I always respect his opinion and his reviews a lot, so I was really looking forward to this. Also, Philip Seymour Hoffman, just one of my favorite actors of all time. He has such a body of work out there, and the more I watch and discover, the more it just blows my mind. Love him to death. Um, and this film really blew me away. I'm not someone who... Thinks about dying a lot. Who fears dying a lot? I, I don't think about these existential ideas that much. I know for some people that kind of haunts them a lot. For me, it doesn't weigh that heavy on me. And this movie put me in that state where I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't get it, get that off my mind, and it, it was really scary in some ways. Once we talk about the movie's conclusion. Um, I found the form of this movie to just be brilliant. Um, there were multiple times where I just I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know how we got from this scene to this scene. I was totally okay with that. Um, because it felt very in line with what the movie was delivering. And uh, that feeling of being disoriented I think is really key to this movie. And key to what this... Well, at least one of the things this movie is saying. Um, there are still some elements that are holding me back. Um, that kind of appear across all of Kaufman's work. Like I talked about, sometimes it feels... A bit too self-pitying and bit too much wallowing in that feeling but this work was so metatextual that it didn't really bother me because every time that was being brought up it was also commenting on it so I felt like this was a very nice course correction uh, in the direction of his movies There's
1: there's a list on Letterboxd that I see a lot and it's called something along the lines of you're not the same person once the movie is finished and if ever there were a film that could be described by that statement This is it, I um, Brendan. I totally agree with you. It is really kind of difficult to watch at times, and I mean that in the absolute best way possible. But I just had to go outside and take a walk during the like at the hour mark of this two-hour movie. Um, it it just it will not let you stop thinking about death, and even like days later, like I watched this several days ago because I didn't know when we were going to be doing the podcast, and it just it is stuck in my mind. Like I've been watching a lot of other movies. Uh, in between there some of them very good but none of them has stuck with me quite like this one um really interesting it just the 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 last moment of this which i mean this is this review is it, you know it has full spoilers and everything so but the last moment just completely wrecked me i had a very physical pain in my chest like akin to like a bad breakup or the loss of a family member or like it was very much a e- physical reaction mm-hmm. that I felt at the conclusion of this movie uh, and and that's not a bad thing like it, it was very painful for me you know not, but not like Star Wars Holiday Special painful not Cats painful oh, it's God. the best kind of painful it's just it just had such an effect on me um, and you know since then I've been looking a lot into uh, the details of the film um, I've watched a great series of like video essays about it that I'm gonna plug later because I don't have the name off the top of my head Um, but it's really opened my eyes to like a lot of details that were in the movie that I didn't necessarily catch Um, so yeah you know my initial reaction was just completely stunned silence and just I I just had to sit there and and take it in and and grapple with grapple with the the fear of death that this this film has instilled in me or at least has renewed in me (laughs)
0: yeah yeah um my thoughts on this film are weird uh, because in some ways I think it is quintessential Kaufman like it is just Kaufman at his most existential at his most depressed in a lot of ways Um, and for me that that fear of death is something that has been recent for me but has been something that has been pervasive probably in the last year or so probably ever since the shutdown and not really being able Mm -hmm. to leave I feel like that's kind of Uh, really settled in for me. And the films that really did that to me were uh, actually a a film we're going to be talking about in two weeks Mm -hmm. uh, and thinking of ending things and also actually Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Um, Mm. So for me, and, and, and again, those films have really come back to me in terms of the way I've been thinking about it. So when I was watching this film, I saw all of that. That it, and I knew that this movie was depressing. I've heard so many people say that this is, like, one of the most depressing movies. So it didn't hit me that hard the way that you guys are talking about. It really just felt like, yeah, like, Char- like Kaufman knows what he's talking about in terms of, like, yeah, he gets it. And then that it didn't really have that profound, like, fear of death in me, hit that profound fear and death in me because of other things that I had seen and just kind of where my headspace has been in the last year. So... For me, I think this is a really good film. I think it's probably one of his middling films for me. I wouldn't say it's it's, it's his top. It's definitely not. I definitely connected to it more than being John Malkovich. Um, but I'm going to be interested to, th- uh, to talk about this because for me, I don't know. There's not much plot here. I don't think our conversation should be really dominated by exactly what's happening in the plot. I think most of it needs to be focused on theme, motif, and how Kaufman gets there. Um... But yeah, no, it's definitely not Eternal Sunshine, and I'll spoil it. It's definitely not. I'm thinking of ending things for me. So, um, so yeah, let's let's get into it. So it starts with Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I have to say, absolutely fantastic the in this man. film. He kills him. Um, it. It's strange to watch this film now that he has died. Mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. say, um, I think that adds an extra layer to this movie, in a lot in a lot of weird ways, similar to. Um, Heath Ledger's Joker in a way where this wasn't anywhere near Philip Seymour Hoffman's last role, but having it be a film so distinctly about death um, and at least for me, I remember when he died back in 2014 uh, I remember that hitting pretty hard, I remember that being a a weird time Um, especially, I mean, I didn't know him from much of anything other than the Hunger Games movies at that point Um, but it was weird, it was just all of a sudden Philip Seymour Hoffman was dead, and yeah, I don't know. I guess we can start with his performance, because I think that that is the anchor that really drives this film. Uh, it wouldn't work, I don't think, without without the strong performance from Philip Seymour Hoffman. So, uh, do you guys have any distinct opinions on his performance? Any specific scenes that you really loved early on in the film with Hoffman?
3: He is truly one of the greatest actors of all time. As I said before, uh, just, he's appeared in so many works, whether in a small role like in P.T.A.'s Heart Eight that makes the movie, or... In a leading role like this, and I have never seen a bad performance from him. I recently watched Love Lisa this year, which is an amazing movie that he stars in, kind of playing a similarly very depressed character, but in a more darkly comedic way. Amazing movie. He, like, unlike any other actor I've ever seen, he just embodies these roles. And with this character of Caden, especially as the character grows older, physically, you just feel the pain as this guy's walking. And he has this thing where he, with this Mm -hmm. character, he, he, he speaks like from the very back of his throat it always feels like it's strained when it's coming out and it just kind of like it drags along it, just absolutely amazing performance and, and, and you're, you're right it's really heart- heartbreaking to think about in terms of his death i remember when he died i also didn't really know him from anything else that big except for hunger games but i remember there were a lot of compilations of you know his body of work and like best of acting moments when he died I remember I would watch those in like seventh grade, not having seen like any of the movies that were in there, you know, like the master of savages, this one, but just being enamored by what I was seeing. And now as I grow older, watching those movies and contextualizing those scenes within a whole film, he's brilliant.
2: yeah i i totally agree with you i think that he just is he plays this so well um he is truly the everyman in you know so many of these situations um and like just the the absolute window into like his own mind and like you know, I, I keep coming back to this concept of absurdism, but, like, he he experiences all of this. Like, it happens to him, and because it happens to him through his performance, it happens to us, you know, in these moments where we see, like, that so much time has passed in an instant where he's like, it's only been a few days, and it's like, it's been, I, I think it, it's been years, right? Or something. Um, and, like, just watching all of these things happen to him... Um, it's, it's really just a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Um, I, am really interested. I wish I had, I, it just occurred to me. Um, I wish I knew where he got his, uh, his training from. And, and if there's a particular school of acting thought that he follows, because it is just like, it's so just all encompassing, I think, which is what really makes it like, so pervasive throughout this entire movie and so apparent that he just has this you know technique um and and just this like the the technical elements of his performance just down pat and you know i think that that's it's just so important and i don't think this movie could have happened the way it did without him
1: yeah um i i totally agree with that i really have no complaints about his performance i think it's Absolutely incredible. Floyd, I didn't know if there was something you wanted to comment, but I was going to move on to... I was going to jump off on something that Brendan just said. seems like... Okay. Um, yeah, there's a lot of kind of screwing with time in this movie. Uh, a lot of... I mean, the whole point is sort of, you know, time is slipping away. Death is coming faster than we think. Uh, and, yeah, there are a lot of moments where someone says, uh, you know, it's been 10 years, and he's like, what are you talking about? It's just been, like, a yeah. couple months. You know... Um, very sad uh, stuff there there's also the fact that his alarm clock at the beginning of the movie says 744 and the and when um, I guess the character is Millicent Weems when she's talking into the walkie talkie and like the very last scene she says it's 743 it's 744 and you're gone Uh. so like there's this Mm. there's this very cyclical circular sort of thing going on um yeah, I wasn't sure if you guys have other examples of sort of screwing with time. I know there's like an expiration date on the milk that changes. Um, something I something I noticed from watching these video essays was that there are a lot of clues about holidays. Like there there are clues that one thing is happening at Halloween and then the next scene, suddenly it's like Christmas the next year or mm-hmm. something like
3: mm-hmm. that. So I wasn't sure if someone had... Yeah, I hadn't picked up on those tiny details, but just what you were talking about when... You know, a scene would move from one to the next, and someone would comment on, "It's been five years. Why are you still holding on to this? Why are you still chasing after your daughter or whatnot?" That that was heartbreaking. I mean, that just speaks to how long pain can last, how long it can physically manifest in you with the disease, whatever that's kind of overtaking his body in the form of these these scabs and these sores, and specifically with the daughter, where she just disappears one day in. Just the, the the feeling of complete hopelessness, of like, you can't control any of this, and things are happening, and characters are talking over you, it, you just, you have no control over anything in your life. That's the main thing I got from this.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. A lot of Kaufman's films, I think, also, I, it's really hard to talk about this movie without spoiling I'm thinking of any. I think they're so very similar in there. a lot of ways, because in a lot of the ways that they, I love. It, yeah, they, it they, they are very similar, and I don't want to say anything more than that, because I don't want to spoil anything about the movie for Brendan, because I know he hasn't seen it yet. Um, but, yeah, this movie plays with time in a way that I, I haven't seen too many movies play with, with time, because this movie shows an entirety of almost an adult life. Um, in two hours in a way that doesn't feel rushed. You know, what people talk about a lot with biopics is it's better to pick a specific time. You know, the day we're recording this is Friday the 15th. Uh, it's the day that One Night in Miami finally came out on yes. Amazon Prime, and I was lucky enough to see that uh, at a virtual fest back in October. And that's the kind of biopic that I think does it really well. You pick one night in Miami of these people's lives, and you tell that story rather than showing, trying to show someone's entire life in a biopic, which is it, it's impossible to do in two hours. But for me, with this film, I think why it's so interesting is that it has that dreamlike quality that a lot of Kaufman's movies have, and it doesn't feel jarring when we jump time. And so, so when these, when these time jumps happen, it feels natural. And like you said, Matt, it kind of just shows the, I don't know, the the depressed mind going through time,
3: which is just time can slip away from you, I guess. Um, and that time has no effect on your sadness. Sometimes that it just it stays with it, yeah. and it, it, sometimes it doesn't go away. Ugh.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. What's really yeah. interesting is that there's never. I mean, there's never like a five years later title mm-hmm. card. You know, it's always just. That'd it, be
0: far too literal for Kaufman. Yeah, I think it's
1: sometimes. always time is just passing, and it, it it never feels like oh we just jumped ahead a lot. Um, what's interesting is that in the script for this movie they did have um, years, so they did have like. Mm a certain certain amount of years, and I'm sure if you really went and tried to pick apart, like you know, the the dates of things, you probably could. Um, but you know, it's not really as important for understanding the movie. It's just kind of
0: it's just time is passing and it's just just moving through you. Um, and I think yeah. my can, just real quick my favorite example of that. Uh, you know, sometimes on CTP here we go through the plot, but I think that's kind of pointless for this film. I don't think it's really going to help us very yeah. much to go scene by scene. Um, throughout the chronology of the film. I think, like I said, talking about the way it, it it does that is more important. I think the best example of that is his relationship with Michelle Williams. And I think that this is actually one of the biggest points of the film, even though it's very short. Mm-hmm. What I love about what this relationship shows in terms of memory, because uh, I I don't know, I, the way I kind of read this film is maybe a, it is... Uh, Caden looking back in his life as he's as he's older and dying and maybe just walking around in the ruins of that uh set that he built and just kind of thinking about life before he dies. I think what's interesting about what he says in that moment is that he, you remember the beginning of something and you remember the end of something and you don't really remember what's in between. Yeah. And I think that is so true. Like even thinking about like as something as small as my last semester in the fall. I can remember the beginning pretty well and I can remember the end pretty well. But if you ask me, what did you do in, you know, the first week in November, I couldn't fucking tell you. Fair. You know, those kind of thing where it's just like I think that Kaufman hit the way that time passes really well there. And again, we jump from his daughter being a very young girl, like what, five maybe early like in the four, film. I think. Four, okay, to being, what, mid-twenties an hour into the movie? Well, yeah, and even, and,
1: e- and even to the point that when he goes to visit Germany and he's talking to Maria, he starts shouting at her and he starts saying she's a fucking four-year-old when <sighs> she's actually not. I mean, the years have mm-hmm. passed, so she's not four anymore. Decades but, have passed, yeah. But he, Right, but he is screaming still that she is. So he is even, like, so confident in that. And he, he just
3: doesn't notice that time is passing. One and of my, I love the
1: idea. Sorry,
3: yeah. yeah, go ahead, Matt. Well, I was, I was going to say, Floyd, what you were talking about with the time pass, you know, not being able to hold on to it, and like that specific quote you brought up, the quote that always comes to my mind, and I think about this quote so much differently when the movie ended, is in the beginning, when he's directing the performance of Death of a Salesman, and he says to the actor who yeah. plays Willie Loman, he says something to the effect of, like, keep in mind that like the importance of this role, and in the fact that I'm casting a young actor in the role of Willie Loman, is that the tragedy is that the audience realizes, or the actor thinks that he's just impersonating this old man who's at the end of his life, but the audience knows that the tragedy is that this young actor will someday reach that point. Yeah. And
0: thinking about the film... And, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah, is, mm-hmm. was a young actor. And thinking mm-hmm. about the film in, in those terms is mind-blowing. Well, and it's also just yeah. really interesting because we
1: we have this whole idea that said later how the end is built into the beginning. Oh, yeah. Uh, and even, True. even like the very literal sense, like the end, you know, time 744
0: is built into the first frame of the movie. Um, but I mean, that's, which again is similar. And I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. I think these movies are, are very much companion pieces, yeah. which I, I said this before that like, I kind of wish we could cut out on Amelisa, even though I, I really want to watch and review that. Like, I just want to talk about, I'm thinking of ending things yeah. after watching. I
1: agree. I, I think they're kind of like sister films a little bit. Yeah. If um, you. Yeah, so, another detail I wanted to mention is this song that Olive is singing right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems pretty harmless, but in the recording, in, like, the soundtrack version, there are lyrics that go beyond when, when the dialogue starts, uh, starts. So, you know, I mean, she's just talking about, like, it seems like a song that could exist. That's about this town, Schenectady. It was a very funny play on words with Schenectady. Um, And it starts getting a little darker. I was born there and I'll die there. My first home, I hope to buy there. So it's like starting to talk about death, but not really. Um, And when I'm buried and when I'm dead, upstate worms will eat my head. But then the dialogue starts, and this is what you don't hear, but this is what's in the soundtrack version. For every person that you know, once you'll say goodbye and go, think you'll see them soon, then no, you won't see them again. There's a last time that you'll see everyone. There's always a never again.
3: Jesus. God. That's
2: really dark. So
1: dark. (laughs) Like, there's there's always a last time that you're gonna see someone before they die, or before you die. That's...
0: Uh, Yeah.
2: It's interesting how they kind of, you know, disguise it in this children's song. Um, Because I feel like a lot of things in media deal with the idea of, like, really dark things being hidden within, like, children's media um,
3: old fairy so tales mm-hmm. yeah.
2: well yeah I mean oh, yeah, there's, fairy so, fucked up. there's <laughs> sort of this like underlar- uh, underlying darkness uh, which I think works very well especially for this movie
1: well yeah and also yeah. Uh, we see you know cartoons of yeah um, you know the uh, someone who looks very much like Caden Cottard mm-hmm. and we see the the like old man the stalker in the background of the of the cartoons mm-hmm. uh, some very interesting
3: details there but and the old man yeah, appears yeah. in in, in Caden's life even before he's introduced instantly yeah can we can we talk about this because yeah. I think this is another
0: really interesting aspect of the yeah. film the way I take it and you guys can disagree or uh, add on to it, I kind of take Tom Noonan's character as the embodiment of aging. Hmm. And kind of how it creeps up to you, and eventually it's there, and you didn't realize that it was creeping up on you. Hey, um, oh. I yeah, I, I kind of took it as as being an elderly person as like it it because forgive me or let me know if I'm wrong. Tom Noonan doesn't age; he's always the same. I think so. Looking right. character,
3: correct? I think that's correct. Uh,
0: that's an, another thing, and, though. Oh, I'm sorry. If you can keep going if you want. I was to. just going to yeah. say, if he stays the same age that whole time, I think that clearly is, is Kaufman saying, like, eventually you're going to get to the point where you're older in your life and it feels like you just go on autopilot and you can't really control anything anymore.
1: It's interesting. I'm, f- that you I'm finally going to well. cite my source here. Uh, the videos are called The Genius of Synecdoche, New York. It's a five part video series. Um, and yeah. the, the channel that did it is yourmoviesucks.org. Oh, yeah. This one was not talking about a movie that sucks. It was talking about a movie that's genius. Um, but yeah, it, it, now, it something that they said in this uh, uh, is that it lines up at one point, apparently with like the years in the script. At one point, uh, Sammy says, I've been watching you for 20 years or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and the first year that he would have been watching him, you know, based on the year that he says that line, and going back in the script and looking at years, is the first scene that we see him. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. there's a very strong argument to be made that Sammy is us. We're watching him. We are, you know, doing whatever. We're, I don't know. You could you could definitely parse that analogy a little bit more, but I think that's an I think there's an interesting argument to be made for the fact that we are the stalker. We're like the observer because we're watching everything in Caden's life at the same time, basically as Sammy is.
2: I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's kind of and- interesting to ahead, bring man. up the uh also ryan's concept of being aging because he ultimately gets in the way of like caden's mm-hmm. h- uh, relationship so like that's you know kind of another commentary on like well you know relationships start like being driven apart uh just because you're aging and because you know these things are happening to you um and you just become estranged from people.
3: Yeah. And going along with that, I, along with aging, I almost took it more as, because he doesn't, Tom, was it Tommy? Is that his name? Sammy. Tom Sammy doesn't, is not like some senile old person. he, He kind of takes over his job and over his relationship. And there's this sort of like jealousy that's introduced where he's like, no, he shouldn't be that harsh on them. Like he's impersonating me, but he's not doing it right. This is not correct. Now, why is he actually telling people what to do in the production? That's my role. Everything's meshing together. It almost felt like this embodiment of ego or this other person that's, you know, the ideal. If I'm correct... I think we see Sammy in the background when Philip Seymour Hoffman is on that building that he's about to jump off of, you know, which then later Sam replicates. I, I'm pretty sure Sammy is sitting because there's a shot that lingers on like an old man who's just like watching him, the one who is not jumping, which is just feels terrifying and sickening hmm. to me. But this idea of like, why is like the, this, this person who's aging and I'm fearing that, but also he's working better than me and he's overtaking my job and I can't fulfill those qualities yet just this feeling of hopelessness.
1: Yeah, and there's that strange scene where he's sitting in the corner with uh, Ariel, I think is the daughter's name yeah. at that point, and he's watching Caden um, mm. and I is it Claire at that point? think so. I don't know. All of, the, all of the women in this story, and I think this is kind of the point, but they all sort of blend together as Caden's moving through life because they all I think feel like they're trying to be a replacement for Adele. Or Caden is mm-hmm. trying to make them a replacement for Adele. Um, all of these women in his life. And so, I think it's very interesting. And then, especially once we get to, like, having two Claires and two Hazels, it's very, you know, it just makes the whole thing more confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Two Sammys yeah. at one point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, with, with Tom Noonan's character, I think it's uh, it, another interesting interpretation of it is that he is the ideal artistic self, yeah. almost. That's what i like uh, and again because i mean we could talk about this now too i i'm super scatterbrained with this movie as i keep saying like i feel like i don't have a solid grasp of like the chronology of the film or even what i think about it because though. it is so abstract yeah because it's so abstract and i feel like the way at least i watched it was like i let it wash over me and now that we're talking about it just random things are like popping up in my brain i mean so much of this movie is about performance um yeah. and 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 art And I think what Kaufman is saying with a lot of this art is that you are never going to be fulfilled by creating art, which is weird. Rude. Um, Because so many movies say the opposite message, you know. Because uh, so many things are taught, so many different films, plays, musicals, books, poetry, whatever, says creating art can be this really great cathartic experience, and that's a term we use all the time on this podcast. That it feels like like this accomplished something what I think is interesting with Kaufman's films is is, and again he gets at this throughout his filmography is that it doesn't really help and in some ways it can make your life worse Yeah, you know which is which is sad and I think interesting and in some ways when uh, Sammy takes over uh, doing his job it's almost like your creative self, this, like, other being is, like, controlling your life so much because that's what you think is supposed to be happening because he is supposed to be delegating things to Sammy in that way, which is another interesting idea throughout. But, Brendan, you had something you want to say?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, that's one of my favorite, um, not tropes necessarily, but favorite messages in a lot of different uh, forms of art is you know the message that like this isn't like this will not fulfill you you know like stop trying to like throw yourself into this thinking that it's going to complete you in some way and i think that that's a really like it's it's um in terms of this film i think that that's a really important message and i think that's definitely something that kaufman is trying to get across um my favorite musical of all time Uh, Sunday in the Park with George, that is basically the thesis statement of the entire piece is that art is not going to, like, fulfill you. Like, there... And you can't hide in it. Um, Which is... It's interesting. I I didn't really think of the sort of... um, crossover implications between that show and this movie. But um, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that it is completely similar just that and it's also just something that we don't really see a lot in media people there's always this sort of like perpetuated lie that like the more that you throw yourself into something the more you're gonna get out of it but that's not always necessarily true um and i think especially you know in terms of this movie like what does Caden really get out of this you know in the end what is he left with he just dies and that's it that's the end you know was he loses
0: all sense of self yep. yeah
2: and that's just it he's well, taking of... orders from ellen or whatever her name is at the end
3: who just tells him to die one of the most impactful moments of the movie for me was one at the end of the movie he's looking back on the map of the set and he peels back the layers yeah. to reveal that the original warehouse size he's built five different warehouses over it you know, like it it, 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 I, I think the special effects here are really great, and feel very much so in line with what Michael Gondry was doing with Eternal Sunshine. When you see that the original warehouse, literally the background is more walls, and to the point that when Tommy or Sammy jumps off the building, and he crashes into the the, the wood because the floor is now a set, that rocked me. That that hit me hard. Oh, in many ways, this feels yeah. like you know what he's going off of an adaptation, which is a severe case of writer's block, basically, whereas where I felt adaptation just descended into stupid self-parodying, this feels really deeply emotionally resonant.
1: Yeah, it it doesn't feel... This message of, like, you know, throwing yourself into this project isn't going to fulfill you. It's very important, but it's not necessarily one that people want to hear a lot. It's very easy to make, like, sugar-coated movies that are like, Once you find your passion, that's it. And you'll have a great life. But like, is that, is that really right? Is that really like what we want to be, uh, saying Yeah, Yeah, I was thinking the same (laughs) thing Yeah, the same thing. It's very much brilliant. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a, on, on the radio, uh, once Caden act like first wakes up in the movie, uh, there's a someone is reading. I believe it's a woman with a German accent, which is very funny because maybe that's you know Adele once she's moved there and developed an accent, or Olive once she's moved there and developed an accent, or Maria. Um, but it's someone uh reading a poem, and once it's over, the the radio host or whoever it is is kind of like, Wow, that's that's harsh, and the person's like, Yeah, but it's accurate, or you know, something like that. It's 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 harsh, it's not what people want to hear, but it is it's truthful and I think that's very much what Kaufman is saying when when that line is being said Kaufman the written and directed by Charlie Kaufman appears on the screen for the exact duration of that line
3: hmm.
1: but I think and especially from a lot of the interviews that I've seen with him he is pretty much just like he he, he said like he doesn't want to he didn't set out to make something super depressing he just said set, set out to make something truthful I think mean, it's not going to sugarcoat things for people. And I think it's... It, he absolutely succeeded there. But it's kind of sad that something, you know, so depressing is like, yeah, that's, that's the truth, you know. <sighs> right.
0: Yeah. And another point that I want to bring up here that I think is interesting, too, relating to the art is... Um, what's his daughter's name again? Olive. Yeah. Olive. Olive. Well, With he's... Olive's death late in the film... I think that that's also saying something very interesting about about art and being an artist is that you can really lose your personal relationships when all you throw into all you put in the effort into in your life is your work, uh, and all of a sudden your kid could be dying and you think, wait, weren't you just four years old? Weren't you just you know yeah. what what happened to this time in between? And again, that's another. Just moment in this movie that that reads is just heartbreaking. Yeah. It's like he never even knew this person, you know, that he was supposed to have this
3: connection to. And then she asks him um, to apologize, and so she'll forgive him. And then she doesn't forgive him. It, it's just it's so brutal. Yeah, <laughs> And he just cries. Yeah,
0: and it, <sighs> but again, for me, I don't know. There's something about this movie that just doesn't wreck me in a way that a lot of other people do maybe it's just because i think about this kind of stuff all the time where it was just again seeing it on screen was like yeah he gets it but it wasn't like this revelation for me it just felt like kaufman i think almost like maybe to kaufman's credit it's just like yeah this movie just felt true it just it didn't feel revelatory right there's a line in here
1: there's a line in here somewhere that's like uh you know we all know that we're dying but we don't want to admit it And I think what the film does is that it forces us to really take a close look at it. So, like, I mean, I think about death a fair amount, but, you know, more often than not, I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't be thinking about that. Like, you're 19, whatever. It doesn't, you know, it's not, like, this eminent issue. And then you watch a film like Synecdoche, New York, and it just puts it right in front of you, and it forces you to think about it. Ah, Death comes faster than you think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I, not to get too personal, but, like, i know someone within, like, a day of watching this movie. I forget if it was a day before or a day after, but it was definitely on my mind, um, thinking about it the past couple days. Uh, Someone I knew just randomly died, and it was like, yeah, Kaufman knows where it's, like, all of a sudden. So, like, because, and again, there are funerals throughout this film, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. all the time. Like, they're kind of touchstones, where it's just like, yep, someone else you knew died, moving on. Like, and, and it's just, like, one of those weird things where it's just like, yeah, and like you said, you know, the last time you see somebody, you never know it's going to be the last time you see them. And again, this, I mean, not, not to get too personal, it's not like I knew this person super well, but all of a sudden, like, I couldn't even tell you when the last time I saw this person was. And it was yeah. someone who I, I knew, at least in passing, pretty well. Um, yeah, again, this movie just feels like it's, it's pointing out truths, but not in a, I don't know, it's definitely, it doesn't feel like it's in a grotesque way either. Um, it doesn't feel like it's exploitative in any way i don't know what are your guys' thoughts on that
2: you know it's interesting that you bring up this concept of like death because there is definitely and i uh, i feel like we are at a phase in our life where a lot of new beginnings are happening for most of us you know people that we went to high school with are getting married and having kids so weird which is it's so weird very strange but yep. you know yep I, I can't help, but this movie makes me think about how in the future there'll be a time when people that we went to high school with are dying. Yeah. And, like, it'll just be, like, a thing. You know, you'll just hear, like, oh, yeah, you remember John? He's dead. Like, and I don't envy people. And you're like, fuck. You're just like, well, fuck. <laughs> um, but it, it's interesting to me because, you know, I, I honestly wonder if, I don't have enough life experience to fully appreciate this movie mm-hmm, yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that potentially someday in the, the future, like this movie will hit me a lot harder than it did, you know, watching it being a 21 year old. But like for now it's, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. And it's, can it's you imagine being like
3: about. 85 and watching this movie? God, Jesus. Help. I, no one over yeah. the age of like 60 should be allowed to watch this film.
0: Even then. <laughs> um, See, for me, though, again, maybe this is just me revealing my own mental state. I feel like <laughs> nobody knows when you're going to die. I could die tomorrow. Like, for me, for me, the, the dread of death is not down the line. It could be any time. Yeah, That's yeah. the thing about, about life is you don't know when. You, death is this weird thing that you know is going to happen, and you don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah. So, sure, when you're over the age of 60, it's clear that you have... You're, you're you're nearing the expiration date. You know you're he- you're way closer to it to the like the generally accepted. But even then, if you're 60, people live to be 105. Mm-hmm. So maybe if a 60 year old watching this movie might still have another 40 to 50 years left to live. Meanwhile, someone can die unexpectedly in their mid 20s. And being 21 years old, I could be closer to death right now than that 60 year old. You know, it's one of those things where it's just like, for me, it it, it feels like a much more prevalent. <laughs> Idea. Maybe this is just me revealing too much about my own mental state and what spirals I go down into. But uh, yeah, for me, it didn't. It doesn't feel like a specific age thing in terms of like, oh, I'm 20, like or 21. I don't have to think about this. It could. It's like it could happen at any point. True. And it's
2: yeah. No. I yeah. Was just I, I think about that how older people tend to have more friends around them that are casually dying. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, sure. I mean, that's definitely true. Yeah, but yeah, no. I no Floyd, doubt.
1: I think what you are saying absolutely makes sense. It's it's, and this just forces you to. To confront it uh re- like could happen at any moment you know one day and, and what, and i could what, just be listening to my walkie-talkie and diane weiss could say into it die and uh, then you know i would have to do it
0: and and i think that's i mean the biggest compliment that we could give kaufman um in every one of his movies i feel like he hits on a specific anxiety you know with it, in terms of being john malkovich the entirety of the movie, I think, is is not being in control of your own life, right? That's the main, the main theory or theme of the film. Adaptation is not feeling fulfilled and feeling like you're not presenting anything of worth to society. Eternal Sunshine is about the fear of losing someone uh, that you think is important and, and the fear of losing your memory, I think, in some ways, too. And then with this film, it's the fear of aging and death, I think. Um, and I think all of the films in some way. And again, this is why I love Kaufman so much. It's it's he is just always hitting something I think that is is deeply deeply relatable to everyone in some way, shape, or form. Whether or not whether or not you dislike the presentation, which I know Matt, you've disliked the presentation a decent amount. I think you can always you can always see the points that he's getting at in his films.
3: Yeah, right? I'll let that lead into my one criticism criticism of the movie. It's I'll, I'll differ it with you. Like, yes, he always does try at least to, to hit on one anxiety. But for me, it often feels like he's retouching on the same, the same theme. And it, overall, I, I didn't really feel like this was a major criticism of this movie. I love this movie. But there were times where I once again felt the same thing that I felt in the three other uh, movies I've seen. Which is a man complaining and being whiny about the women in his life don't want him. Which is exactly how I felt in Adaptation, Whoops. and to an extent in Eternal Sunshine, and a lot in Being John Malkovich. And you could say sometimes he, he dismantles that, and I'm thinking of ending things, but I don't think he does it well. And in here, I think it mostly came up with the Hazel character, I believe is her name, which is kind of in the beginning of the movie. I felt like those scenes didn't always work the best for me. And it, it just, you know, I don't know anything about and I don't know anything about his life, but you know it, it, at times it always feels like, okay, you are like a wealthy, well-off, New York socialite who has made award-winning films and you're still complaining about like not being able to get with women in your life like can we can we move on can we get over it
1: <laughs> I think yeah, it's a I think... I think it's a little misguided to criticize a movie for having uh, a, a man who is desperate to be loved in a film that is about a man who is just all he wants throughout the end of his life is just for someone to love him I think
3: that's I don't know I, I we're... my problem isn't just this it's the fact that like all his other movies do this. And it's like, okay, like, we, we get it. This feels so whiny, and, like, you're just wallowing in self-pity most of the time. I don't... See,
0: for me, it, it always feels so specific to his characters, though. I don't attribute that to Kaufman. I mean, knowing that... I mean, I don't know what his relationship's been like, but he is married with a kid. Like, he, he hasn't had, from what I can tell, you know, these traumatic breakups or in terms of divorces that this character goes through. And I don't know. For me... The, the 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 pining for women was, has always been the stuff that I kind of push up against with Kaufman, especially in adaptation, like the masturbation scenes just feel weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's something that I can always get past, especially in something like being John Malkovich, where I think it's being done for a very specific purpose, and it's very clearly being stated that the bad guy in that movie, Cusack, uh, is the person that is behaving that way. Um, and, in Adaptation, I just always took Adaptation as more of a, a loneliness thing than a desperate thing, you know, it wasn't like, oh, no one will love me, like, no woman will love me, it's that he feels so alone, and that's kind of, like, an escape for him. Um, and Eternal Sunshine, I think, is, is completely different, I think that that, I don't think that wallows in pity in terms of women in any way, I think that more is, uh, it's more about the pain of a, of losing somebody than, I think, than being, like, an incel, <laughs> kind of like what adaptation is like. So I think adaptation, being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine, are different. Here, I think it is different from any of those because he is, he is pining after that one person, Adele, and, and and not seeing the people in front of him who are willing to give to him, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that that is a, another really interesting moment in this film is what what's the character's name? Uh Hazel. Mm-hmm. Hazel. Uh the redhead. Right. Um she so clearly early on in the film wants to give emotion, time, all these things to uh to Caden, but he just doesn't recognize it or doesn't appreciate it at the time. And then later that scene where he stops on the street and is like talking to her he just i think you can see that and again in in seymour hoffman's performance which again i feel like everything that we're talking about this movie again lays on the foundation of philip seymour hoffman just portraying these scenes perfectly Mm -hmm. uh when he stops her on the street he's like oh how are you he's like she's like oh i'm waiting for my husband and kids it's just (laughs) like all of a sudden he just realized like fuck that could have been me like why didn't i why didn't i take that opportunity You know, and and again, I mean, again, a lot of this movie is about wasted opportunity and wasted time, Um, where I think that, yeah, I mean, all of his films have this to some extent, but I think each of them handles it in different ways and with different perspectives. And I think in this film, a lot of it is about missed opportunity, Mm -hmm. not in terms of like, oh, I didn't get to have sex with her in terms of, oh, I didn't really realize that I could have actually had a real human connection with this person and shared my life with them when I... Just didn't see that it was in front of me.
1: Uh, what do you guys make of the fact that in that scene, Hazel says that she has twins, and then she lists off three names?
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't even catch that.
1: It's really odd. It. Uh, I don't
3: know. I don't know if there's an explanation. Once you
0: get past one, it's just like, how many are there? How no, okay. many? You know. Well, and um, also,
3: Hazel's burning house, which is burning, I think, from the first yes. time. That That's so it. interesting. That's yeah. the first
1: moment. I think before that, it's sort of like, you know, it, there's a lot of death. They're talking about, you know, they're talking about a virus on the TV, which is, like, very, you know, prevalent now. They're talking about, you know, okay. the first, uh, I forget, the first black graduate of some university just died. Uh, everything seems to be revolving around death in these scenes. And it's its heavy-handed, but I wouldn't say that it's absurdist yet. And then once he is walking into the house, it becomes very clear, like, okay, it's,
0: it's not really real, you know. Not but what well. I love about that is the realtor says, and the eventual death from sno- right. smoke inhalation, uh-huh. right? Yeah, that's actually mm-hmm. what kills
3: it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So it's it's one of those things where again, this movie is about the inevitability of things in a lot of ways. Yeah, where it's like we go into something, like you're you're going into some project or you're going into some house or you're going into some relationship and you don't realize that it's going to be the thing that kills you but it was always going to be because that we're way. all going to die of something you know well
1: yeah like you yeah. don't know when you're buying a house is this going to be the house that you die in Ugh. is this
2: going to yeah. be the house that burns down ultimately but it was always going to be the this house so that scary. burns down yeah yeah that's so interesting
0: yeah. <laughs> and again <laughs> matt says it's scary for me it was like yep that's, See, that's I don't the think about spiral these that I go down. I don't
3: think about life. Welcome to these, my brain. I don't think about life in these existential terms. Maybe I'm just living in ignorant bliss, but I never think about dying where I am right now. So that's why this movie gutted me. Yeah. I
2: mean, like, good for you, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you I, 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 I
1: can we trade? <laughs> um, I, I, think we've had a lot of good conversation about the theories of different, uh, you know, yeah. elements of of imagery and stuff like that in here. I wanted to see what your take is, all of you, I want to get your takes, on what... Just, like, theorize with me about where Caden is. What is he? Is he dead? Uh, as, you know, did he commit suicide, as his therapist suggests in one scene? <laughs> did he... Uh, is he in a pla- In a... I forget what, something between stasis and antistasis? As Millicent Weems says at one point, what do you guys think
0: is, he in purgatory? is going on
3: here? Say. Is he in purgatory? Mm-hmm. Talk to me, guys. What do you think? I think it could be any of those. This is one of those movies where I'll like, get mad if someone has a very abstract interpretation of it. I think you can interpret this like a gazillion different ways. Um, I agree. My reading of it, uh, I like to read it. It's just the film presents it, that it's you know, just a pretty metaphorical imagination of one man aging. But yeah, he certainly could be dead the entire time. He could have actually jumped off of that bridge or building.
2: Yeah, I think I prefer that okay. sort of um, that interpretation that, you know, while, while I do think that you could spin it any which way you want, I I agree with Matt in that I like that it is sort of all just a metaphorical representation of his life um, and how time slips away from you and, and what, you know, as as Ryan said, what missed opportunity really is. Um, and I think that that's probably the most succinct way that you could put the movie, but I, I definitely think that it's it's up in the air for anyone to to put whatever you know whatever they want to get out of it I think you could potentially spin the movie to to serve that narrative as well
0: yeah I I take it as I think I mentioned this already again my brain is so scatterbrained that I don't even remember what I said on this podcast I, I take it that this is Caden reflecting on his life as it's happening almost you know what I'm saying where he has this scene, you know, with um, with uh, J- Jennifer Jason Lee's character Maria at the at Maria at the um, at the cafe in Germany, where he's like, she's what well, you said, like she's four. Like obviously, time much time has passed. Mm-hmm. It's someone reflecting on their life as it's slipping by them, and again, and I don't think that you need to have any specific interpretation of what it is. That we're watching, other than time slipping away from someone. Which is, really, I think the the only interpretation I need in terms of what's happening.
1: Something I want to bring up is a medical condition called Cotard's Delusion. And it's also known as Walking Corpse Syndrome, or Cotard's Syndrome. This is a rare mental disorder in which the affected person holds the delusional belief that they are dead, do not exist, are putrefying or have lost their blood or internal organs so there's a lot to unpack here but basically it refers to someone who thinks that they're dead or thinks that they don't exist for example there was uh a woman a case study here in this wikipedia article um who denied her need to eat because she thought that she wasn't alive so she didn't need to eat and she starved to death um wow it's like this very severe mental disorder so obviously the name Caden Cotard um, sort of bears some. Uh, uh, obviously, it's the same name. Um, an interesting thing is that one of the one of the possibilities here is have lost their blood, and as, as Olive says in the one scene, she doesn't want to have blood. Yeah. Uh, even though everyone has blood, but I think this is interesting. I think there's a way to interpret it as maybe he is dead, and this is a representation. Of if he were alive. But Qatard's syndrome would seem to suggest that he is alive and he thinks he's dead.
2: He's a dead uh, man walking.
1: It's just really weird. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically it. He is a walking corpse. A walking yeah. corpse syndrome. He's he's dead from the beginning. The beginning is or the end is built into the beginning. Um so you know, even if he's Wait. not dead the whole way, he's sort of he's as good as dead because he's dying. Mine. And we're all as good as dead Mine. because we're all dying. <laughs>
0: My interpretation of that, I I can definitely see that, and again, I agree with Matt that you can take this any way you want. My my interpretation of that being the dead man walking in terms of, I don't think it's saying that he's actually thinks he's dead, it's just that he is acting like he's it's dead. It's you know another
1: connection to draw. Is, it's not, I don't yeah. think that mm-hmm. the film is saying Caden Cotard has Cotard syndrome, but...
0: Sure, and, and and it could, and again, it could. It could be saying that, but for me, I think it's more of this person is just letting things happen, you know? It's just like time is slipping away from them more than Caden's actually dead, which, again, is an interpretation. I, I think Matt is completely right, that you can have whatever interpretation you want with this movie, and it can be considered valid, other than, like, he's some circus clown performing, you know?
3: <laughs> Another... I want to draw a connection from this movie to another one we talked about. I wasn't on with the podcast. I couldn't make it, but this network cover, which is The Truman Show. <laughs> so much of this movie, I felt like I was watching The Truman Show. Not the movie The Truman Show, but the actual show, you know, within that film. One of, like, the things that really stood out we're to me are Sammy. Is what, we're the stalker. Yes. <laughs> when, whenever Caden uh, is having a, a one-on-one scene with whatever character... He will say something, and before he even finishes talking, that character will speak over him, and then it'll cut to them. Like he can never get a word in. He can never, he, he can never truly say what he wants to say. And Kaufman really does a good job of capturing this. I think it's being John Malkovich, where there's the the gibberish speaking, uh, w- with the boss at the one plant, and then even in, in, in uh, Eternal Sunshine, uh, inside his memory, the, the faces are blurred, and he just can't communicate what he wants. What well, you know? What he wants to say, which I think him and like David Lynch have in common, being able to have that dreamlike effect of like can't get the words out fast enough, and it felt like what they do in Truman Show, where it's like I am saying something and I feel like I'm talking to a wall, like this person is not understanding or doesn't like isn't listening to me at all, and they are just responding back to something else completely different. It was such an eerie sense. I felt so complicit at times of, like what was happening in this film. I think now that Kaufman, now that we're into the
1: portion of. Kaufman's career where Kaufman is directing I think we're going to start to see a lot of similarities between him and and, uh, David Lynch Uh, in this movie I felt that a little bit and I'm thinking of ending things I know there are some some big similarities that I could draw and I hope in so that we'll get this sort of of vibe but you know if nothing else it's just it's always open to interpretation you know like you were saying Matt you could take this a thousand different ways and they could all be correct Um, so yeah I I very much enjoy when we can have a podcast that's mostly like, what did you, how did you take this? You know, what, what is the meaning of this? Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's, I think it's a, a very entertaining kind of movie to review.
0: I think that's definitely true for this movie. I will stand firm when we talk about it. I think there is a very specific, correct at least plot-wise, way to look at. I'm thinking of ending things. I think there is a definitive thing of what Kaufman is trying to say is happening, and I'm thinking of ending things. Unlike this movie,
1: I think you're right. If if for no other reason than that it's adapted from a book, where where there is a more clear, you know,
0: sure, plot. sure. But again, I think I think I called you after it. Logan was like or, or Matt. I was like, I think this is what it is. And I the more I think about it, I'm thinking of ending things is probably the movie. Other than my number one, that I think about the most, mm. if you know what I'm saying, like about what it said about life, um, in a lot of ways, and I'm so excited to talk about it. and I'm sure we're gonna talk about it forever and have a debate because uh, Matt unfortunately doesn't like it, um, sad. But we'll spoil that. But if you go on his letterbox, you can read his full review. Quick plug: go watch all or go take a look at all of our letterboxed uh, accounts. Cinema Talk Podcast. Yeah. Is there anything, uh, anything else to get I think um, we covered it all.
1: The music is I mean, really good.
0: W- it is really good. Sad. I just want to shout out um, Michelle Williams. Great in the movie. I love Michelle Williams. Good job. Great. Uh, she's great in everything. Um. um yeah, I just... Uh, okay, weird small thing. Just real quick, mm-hmm. Matt, before you go. Do you guys ever mix up Carrie Mulligan and Michelle Williams? Because I do every time. I couldn't tell you which in a movie if it was Michelle Williams or Carrie Mulligan.
3: I can differentiate, but I know what you're saying. They look similar. I do not I feel, but I don't know. It, it, I don't uh, know if Michelle Williams was is actually from like the Boston area, um, or if I'm just projecting her character from Manchester by the Sea and every other movie that she's been in. But like, it just mm-hmm. it yeah. always it always seems to have that sort of accent to it. Um, I just want to talk about the ending again. I know we have kind of touched on touched on it, but like to fully delve into it. When when we hear die over. The walkie-talkie i feel like someone literally just pulled my lifeline i was like all right like i'm i'm done like i i i am physically deceased and i I, didn't, I was confused by what was going on who is the character in that scene that he's talking to not through the walkie-talkie but like the older lady on the bench is that the she mom says, God. she says that she was the
1: mother from ellen's dream it is. It's
3: yes. Ellen's dream at the picnic thing.
1: The yeah. picnic thing, and then Caden starts talking in terms of like, "I wish that I could have taken my daughter, mm-hmm. like I promised." When it wasn't him that promised that, it was a little girl who promised it. So, um,
3: the movie does sort, sort of it interesting a lot
1: in that way. I don't think that the movie is saying that he's like transgender, but I I don't know. It's just sort of another way to like that he's losing his identity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. To me,
3: and, and just like he doesn't even know what. What like, what he is anymore the movie does that a lot where it will show a scene that starts out feeling very sincere and heartfelt and then it'll zoom out and you realize these are all actors, you know the funeral scene at times does that, and that that always hit me hard, you know oftentimes like these like actual moments of sincerity are ones that we're just replaying over in our heads, correcting mm.
0: yeah, I think the ending as. A, a a person that he doesn't quite recognize um maybe god maybe a parent that he has kind of in his old age forgotten was a parent i don't know i think it in in some ways it doesn't matter again it's just this person that is kind of guiding him to death could it be a nurse maybe who's laying at his bedside as he dies if you're saying that all of this takes place in his
3: head you know this movie ends the way i wanted 7 to end you open up the box and then and then it cuts to black. That that like I like I as soon as this movie ended, I thought about my ideal version of Seven. You know, that's immediately where my mind went. But again,
0: with the end of Seven, <laughs> and the more I've I've had to read about old Hollywood. Possible and, spoilers light, for Seven Hollywood. ahead. Possible, I don't know how much. Spoiler. I don't
1: know what Ryan's, what, what Ryan is going to say, but possible spoilers for Seven.
0: Uh, all I'm saying again with the ending of Seven, with his speech, right? is that it, it ties into old Hollywood noirs super well, and it's obvious that David Fincher is going for the noir in the 90s, and I still think that's one of the best movies ever made, and I love you, David Fincher, for making that movie. Uh, and back to that, I do love getting you. rid of yes. that debate.
3: I do love you, David Fincher.
0: <laughs> yes.
3: Great man. Um,
0: go back and listen to all 11 of our podcasts on his films.
3: Yeah, when I looked at my letterbox... Um, you know, year in review it was David Fincher, no doubt yep. being the most watched director. And surprisingly, Tilda Swinton being my most watched actress. Oh actor, mm. actress.
0: my most watched director was uh Hitchcock. Oh yeah. With know. I think thirteen. Yeah. Because we did the series, but then also I have this set, and I when we were doing the series, I watched all of the movies in that set that I had not seen. I went on a little Hitchcock craze when we were doing that series. Yeah. Uh, um, but Lynch and. Yeah, Lynch, Fincher, and Hitchcock were my three most watched directors. Nice. Uh,
1: I'm checking right now. Yeah, it. mine was we Fincher, can... and then Lynch was next. Who and was here, what was that yeah, actor? Can...
3: Did it, does it have that for you? Wait, how do you. Uh, see my.
1: That? Actor. my most watched actor
0: is a guy named bob stevenson he's in like everything dude he's in he's in a ton i don't i couldn't even tell you what he looked like but i think i know that well, i know who you're talking about he is in everything yeah, so
1: four fincher movies seven the game fight club and zodiac and then adaptation as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and, and i'm
1: pretty sure he's in twin peaks the return as well but is he small part yeah. all right i'm
0: looking at my 2020 hold on stall he has a
1: super small part in like everything
3: that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was, mine was Tilda Swinton because she has, like, a voice part in Uncut Gems, and she's in a lot of tiny other things. Ah,
0: uh, that's great. I'm so glad that he is my he is my number one. Is this... My number one from last year was Adam Driver. Oh, good. Oh.
3: oh, hell yes. Yes. Is this only
2: for pro members? Yes, seven movies. Because I don't No, I don't have, yes. I don't have pro. Oh, how do you see it? Really?
1: Just um, go to the bottom of your profile, and, and it's on stats. We're just... <laughs> I listened to that We're podcast you told me about for a while. They just looked at their own Letterboxd accounts.
2: Yeah. Mine says this, <laughs> this is, is a, totally a great good
1: for our let's, our let's wrap it up. Let's do sure. final thoughts and ratings, and then we'll talk yeah. about this stuff off mic. Yeah. Brendan,
2: yeah. uh, right go ahead. Yeah, this is a really interesting uh, movie. I think that, you know, the absurdest aspects of it really further the plot um, rather than hindering it, which I, I know, you know, sometimes you can get caught up in it. Yeah. Um, In in various art forms. Uh, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman gives a really excellent performance, and I think that this is a really interesting open-ended movie um, that, you know, someday I'm sure I'll come back to, and it'll hit me way harder. (laughs) Um, But, I I think that is a really interesting part of it, is that I I legitimately think that I just don't have enough um, I, I just don't have enough life experience to fully appreciate this movie yet um and i'm sure that for those that do uh this can be a very depressing film um it's 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 hard to watch it sometimes um but i think that's just because it is it's so truthful um yeah i'm gonna give this movie an a minus i think that's that's a fair score um a minus
3: yeah, this movie really hit me. Um I'm emotionally impacted by most movies I watch, you know, if they're good ones. And <laughs> like this 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 one hurts. This this one, this one hits hard. Uh I think I have a list of on Letterboxd of movies with pretty haunting endings. I'll have to add this one to that because this one definitely deserves a place. I was so happy that I loved this movie, you know. I don't enjoy shitting on Coffin movies. I do want to love them. I'm happy that I do love this one. Hopefully I love Anomalisa too. Um I feel like This is the perfect balance of a lot of his eccentricities. He's always, you know, an adaptation, I felt like he just ran rampant with it. Um, And it was too much about him. And this one is also about him, you know, as it seems all his works are in some way autobiographical, but um, this one feels very concerned with these very broad existential ideas um, that it kind of broadened the scope from an egotistical portrait, which I felt his other movies tended to be. blown away by the craft in this film um it, it's a movie where i would love I, like i would love to and i also don't want to rewatch. i would love to pick up on these other details that logan's been bringing up i don't know if i can relive this heartbreak because it's a lot it's a lot of pain going on here um this is a movie that i can easily see being jumped up to an a plus uh for now i'm going to give it an a but as brendan said i will be excited to revisit this later in my life and thankfully, you know, I have lived a life where I have thankfully been blessed with not anyone super close to me um, dying. But I can imagine that having lived more life, and this is true for film in general, that as you live more of your life, art impacts you differently. So I'm going to give it an A for now, but really, really impressed with it. Really happy that I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I loved this film. It's um, I don't know. Love is a strange word to use. I'm I'm glad you said Matt about. Not being able to to rewatch it because I do think that this is one of my favorite films that I never want to watch again, uh, or at least not for a while, just because of this. I, again, I just can't reiterate it enough just this physical reaction that I had, a physical pain throughout my entire body uh, at the end of this, and and that's that's very high praise. Um, I I can't think of many films that have that have hit me in this way, and it's not necessarily because I don't think about death, but just because I don't know, it's just, just something was really, something really impressed me about it. Um, just, yeah, really amazing job by Kaufman. I, he, you know, he has yet to make one that I don't think is great. Um, I'm, I'm also going to give this an a with strong, uh, a plus possibilities in the future. Yeah. Um, you know, I just don't know. It's just kind of, too early to tell, um, but it really hit me the the whole vibe of it. Whenever I listen to the music, it just like it just instantly takes me back there to, to the, again to the point where like I don't want to listen to it that frequently, but it's really good. Um, but yeah, it's uh, this is a really interesting film, and I would I would mm-hmm. recommend it. I mean, if you haven't seen it after listening to this entire spoiler review, then I guess <laughs> go watch it. But yeah, really good movie a with a plus possibilities in the future
0: yeah um i feel like i undershot adaptation when i reviewed it i gave it an a minus and i feel like the more i think about it the more i uh sit with it i feel like that movie deserves an a so i'm not gonna do that with this movie and i'll spoil it right away i'm gonna give this movie an a um i think that this is uh again middle of the road kaufman movie for me I think that shows you how much I really love Charlie Kaufman's stuff, that a middle-of-the-road Kaufman movie for me is an A. Um, I love the performances all around. I think everyone in this movie is specifically good. Even uh, people we didn't talk about, uh, Catherine Keenan, Samantha Morton, Jennifer Jason Lee, I think they're all really good, anchored by a fantastic performance by uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Charlie Kaufman's first directorial effort uh, is definitely one that uh, will stick with me. I don't think it's going to stick with me as much as some of his other movies that I really love. Um, but again, I think this is going to be an interesting companion piece to talk about with "I'm Thinking of Ending Things." Um, in a lot of ways, yeah, this this movie it's just honest, and I think and I think a lot of ways it's not preachy in its messaging. I don't think, but it is always coming back to this core idea of just saying something that's true about human experience, and I think that it did that. And it, it's a it's a great film, and I'm also going to give it an A. So average of it obviously. Next obviously uh yeah three a's and an a minus i think is a pretty good stamp of approval i don't think this will ever be an a plus movie for me i could be wrong again with age your uh perception of art could change but i think for me i'm I'm pretty comfortable with my a grade um so yeah moving forward next episode even though this episode's quite delayed we'll be talking about anomalisa um, his next directorial effort, which is a claymation film, which I'm very excited to, uh, to talk about. Oh. Um, and then we have I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the new Netflix film that came out last year that uh, I'm sure will be coming up in our top 20 films of 2020, which we might as well plug right now. Uh, probably a week to two weeks from now, we will be recording and releasing our top 20 of 2020. We haven't discussed the exact format of it yet, but Logan will be joining us for the first time.
1: Yeah, I'm... Uh,
0: in some way, shape, or form. I'm
1: really excited. I always love listening to these episodes with with Ryan and Matt. They always have really great things to say about their favorite films of the year. I've watched so far... I just said it before the podcast. I think uh, 27 films uh, from 2020 so far. I want to watch a few more, but yeah. Uh, I have, like, five to ten that I want to put on my list, so I will probably let these guys do the first half of the podcast, and then I'll I'll be jumping on to the top uh, five or ten, whatever I decide. Um, and, yeah, I'm really excited, so I'm going to be watching a lot of stuff. Uh, keep an eye on our letterbox pages, which we might as well also plug.
0: Yeah, go ahead and plug all those social
1: needs. Plug all of them. Plug all of them. Brendan, you want to?
2: Yeah, of course. You can social find us news. on social media at Twisted Mug Media. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we don't use our Twitter quite as much, but hey, if you follow us there, maybe we'll start using it more. Uh, Instagram, you know, we like to post all manner of fun images and things there. Uh, like we were just talking about, uh, you know, we've got some letterbox pages. There's a Twisted Mug Media Network letterbox page, and on there you can also find uh, the uh, all of our individual pages. Uh, if you want to see what we're watching outside. I just rewatched all of the Star Wars prequels with one of my friends. <laughs> Terrible
1: experience. You're a masochist.
0: I am a masochist, apparently. Um, and Matt just watched, like, five movies in a day the other day, if you want to go see what five movies those were. Yeah, you have
3: gone insane. Yeah, off the
0: rails.
2: Um, we also have a YouTube channel. Um, check it out. We've, we'll be posting more content on there eventually, but we've still got some pretty fun videos on there. Um uh, Ryan has done two Criterion hauls. I've made two video essays—one about Star Wars, one about the Avengers—and um, I'm sure we'll have more things to to come in the future. I think that's everything. Social media wise, yeah. Uh, other shows so. on the network?
1: Did we? Yeah, we have we have some other shows on the network. Uh, there's uh, Back in Style, our newcomer-friendly episodic review of Twin Peaks. Stop White What, our improv comedy advice show. Twisted Mug Mysteries your one stop shop for everything spooky and occult Octo Island our extended universe Star Wars podcast and I Might Play That our video game review podcast
0: yeah and uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts Podbean wherever podcasts are available we will be back next time with Anomalisa and then the time after that with I'm Thinking of Ending Things so thank you so much for listening guys I'm Ryan I'm Brendan
1: I'm Matthew and I'm Logan we'll
0: talk to you next time see you guys There you
1: go. Brennan said it.